Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So this is a conversation that came up um, in a group chat we have with uh, Max and Prashant. And Max asked, <laughs> "What like what was the actual question, Brad? What's crazier, the fact that uh, there's only two more games left or that in a normal year there'd still be 28 left? And honestly, I have never been a short in the season person. Like I, I never thought NHL seasons were short by any means. But I've never been a 82 games is too much. Until this year, I definitely can sympathize with the people who want to shorten the season. The concept of there possibly being 28 games left after this point physically exhausts me. It makes me feel how Evan looks right now. Like, I just want to sleep for 10 years thinking about 28 more games. Now, for all the complaining and negativity on my Twitter timeline during Red Wings games, I have a problem. I will watch every game. I will enjoy it to some extent. And even when there's really bad games, I will be excited for the next game, even in a rebuild, even in a tank, even hoping for a loss, because it's still worth watching the Zadinas, the Rasmussens of the world, etc. and their development. I've always been a, a very pro 82 game guy. Um, and I'm still a pro 82 game guy. Cause again, we're in the context of the 2020, 21 Red Wings today's game. Again, for everything I just said was one of the very few games in my adult life. I actually had no desire to watch. Like I did, I didn't really want to, which is very rare for me, but I'm like, you know what? I I'm going to, I don't want to miss something crazy. I have to be informed about it, but, but I also remember the good years. I could comfortably watch 82 games of the 08 Red Wings, the 09 Red Wings, basically everything from, you know, birth up until 2016. I I could watch very happily and 82 games, 100 games, no problem. So I, for fans of teams that are perennially in the bottom, like the Sabres and the Coyotes, yeah, I get it. I'd be a, I'd be a 60 game truther if I had to, but understanding that there are better times ahead i'm still very pro 82 games yeah the um the the shutdown last season has taken away any sense of me ever saying i wish the season was over already like not you know wishing there wasn't hockey but just saying like this is painful because this rebuild sucks so much so i will never say that again like you brad i still look forward to every game despite knowing what's going to be on the screen in front of us I will say settling down for a Sunday afternoon matinee game, getting comfortable, you know, maybe having a beer and a burger, turning the TV on and seeing that it's a national broadcast instead of Ken and Mick. That is just a punch to the gut. I, like you, I've never been so disaffected or like disinterested <laughs> at the start of a game. I don't know. I don't know. This was this is the one of the, actually, is that the last time as Red Wings fans that we are going to see a national broadcast by NBC? Yes, and for as horrendous as the broadcast was, I think it was a good thing. Um, because at no point, this is going to be our last memory of NBC broadcasting the Red Wings. So at no point in the, what, seven years of this new TV deal, are we going to miss NBC in the slightest? They were terrible. They did a horrific job from just about every standpoint you could imagine. 
And I'm very glad they're out of it. And I don't normally like to so brazenly and so unabashedly trash another company or anybody just trying to do their job. But when you're giving Mike Milbury airtime and Jeremy Roenick and you're like the front line of the Mike Babcock redemption arc, no. If you just had bad quality broadcasts, that's fine. I can live with that as bad as they truly were. The context of everything else they did just makes it unforgivable. So good riddance to bad rubbish. I look forward to what TNT and ESPN will bring us. I don't know. I, I think if nothing else had happened and Pierre Maguire got on air today as he did and called Ryan McDonough Mr. Hockey in the context of a Red Wings game and then spoke about a Tampa Bay line as the grind line, it's like they're trying to piss us off. <laughs> you know, it's fair though. They've probably seen our comments on Twitter and you know, I was, I'm harsh on them because they've done a very poor job for a very long time. Um, I think all of Red Wings Twitter hates it and are very vocal about it. Whenever there's a national game, half my tweet, the tweets on my timeline during the game are how terrible the Red Wings are. And the other half are how terrible NBC is. There's never an in-between. Well, uh, that will be the last of it. There is a new TV deal. We will address that in this episode and in coming episodes. Uh, we'll also talk, be talking about, uh, the Red Wings three games that have happened since, um, the last time we spoke with you. Um, which I think amounts to one or two goals, but somehow a lot of excitement and stories. Uh, we'll be talking about the U18s. We'll be talking about today's prospect profile. And of course, we are going to be uh, airing our interview that we had this week with none other than Igor Larionov II. And if you're thinking, is that the second of the Igor Larionov that we know and love as Red Wings fans? The answer is yes. Yes, it is. Uh, exceptionally fun interview. One of the most... Uh, you know, fun 45 minutes I think we've had as podcast hosts interviewing. So uh, we really look forward to that. But in the meantime, officially welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I am Ryan Hanna. I am Brad Crisco. And I am Evan. Oh, Evan. Oh, calm down, buddy. That was a lot of color for yours. That was a lot of energy. That might have been it for the whole episode. You were winding up the whole intro. That's why I didn't say anything. You just had to put it in there. That is very true. Um, quick announcement for everyone. Uh, obviously, at the beginning of most of our episodes uh, of late, we've been discussing with you our partnership with the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, and I'll give you a little bit more info on that in a second. But uh, we would first like to bring focus to a fundraiser uh, that we started today uh, in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Um, <laughs> this fundraiser was started at 2.30 p.m. for context. And it was uh, framed as an end of season fundraiser so we want to wind down the season by you know putting together some support for the jamie daniels foundation so we imagine this running you know until the end of the last game of the season which is this upcoming saturday against columbus um it is a uh something that we've been putting together for a little while now so what we're doing is we are matching donations to the jamie daniels foundation up to one thousand dollars and included in that one thousand dollars is uh some support and generosity from our very good friend everett johnson uh, at born to Dan Hart on Twitter, um, who has been an incredible advocate for this show, uh, and has done a lot of good charitable work. So thank you, Everett, for supporting and, and bringing that total, uh, matching donations up to $1,000. So our goal was to raise $1,000 in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation so that we can match that and bring it up to $2,000. Um, in the span of 
from 2.30 until 7.30, so five hours, and most of this came within the three-hour span of a Red Wings game, uh, you guys raised $1,195. That is without our matching. So we are nearly at $2,200 total already, and we can't begin to tell you guys how much that means to us. That is, like, I was mes- messaging these guys, like, the first, like, we're like, I'm like, oh, we're at, like, $45. We're at, like, 125 And a couple hours later, I'm like, we cleared 1000 <laughs> It was absolutely amazing. Um, so we're very excited that you guys uh, hit that $1,000 benchmark already. Uh, we hope to keep that going. We are going to keep this thing open until uh, the weekend. And what we're doing to uh, mix it up is not only uh, having that $1,000 match uh, of donations, we are also throwing in a Jacob Verana jersey as a giveaway. Uh, the Adidas, the the good ones, not the Fanatics ones. Um So if you want to donate, you also get some entries based on how much you donate. Uh, There's also other ways to enter if you uh, aren't able to donate. Check us, uh, follow us on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod, and we have a tweet out there where you can see all the details. Um, And again, the Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative. It was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels Goldman, and Jamie's father, who is Red Wings lead announcer, uh, you'll know, Ken Daniels. Uh, They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. JamieDanielsFoundation.org. And when you make your donation, be sure to screenshot it and reply to our tweet so we can count it. Um, Again, super, super excited. Let's see how high we can get this thing. Uh, Red Wings Twitter and Red Wings fandom, you guys continue to be incredible and we do not deserve you. Um, Okay, the Detroit Red Wings have played three games and have scored a grand total of half a goal, I believe. (laughs) Like, it is amazing how little goal support has happened. Uh, The first game, the 3-1 loss to Carolina. Let's talk about the only exciting thing that happened. Yet another reminder that Eisenman won that trade. Holy shit, Jacob Verana. Jacob Verana, outscoring Anthony Manthes of this moment, forever that's worth to you guys. Um, where do we begin on that goal? Uh, who was it? Rasmussen was the one who forced the turnover, I believe. Yeah? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, either so. way, someone someone forced the turnover. Verana saved it at the blue line, and in one motion, while the puck's bouncing. Manages to corral it, split the Carolina D, walk in on a partial breakaway, not with a great angle, uh, go forehand, backhand, turned his entire body around so he was skating backwards at the point of shooting it and went backhand high glove. Just an unbelievably high-skilled play. And um, given that he's going to have to score a lot of goals on his own, uh, given that this was probably the one turnover any of his line mates forced this game. Good on him for making use of his opportunity. Datsukian, right? Like that. Oh yeah. The way he turned his hips and moved his body and framed the shot and then just finished with that smooth backhand high glove finish. That was like, that's the stuff we haven't seen since, pa- since Pavel Datsuk. Mind you, I'm about to talk about a Valtteri Philippe shootout goal, which reminded me a lot of Pavel Datsuk, but that's a story for a few minutes for now. Um, Verona is electric. Like, I'm not going to pretend that this is the Jacob Verona we're going to see every single game, game in and game out for seasons to come in Detroit. I'm sure we're going to see the warts in his game eventually. I'm sure, you know, things will settle down. But if this is what this guy looks like when he's let loose and has an ability to shine with both minutes and, you know, offensive creativity on the ice, and as much as the Red Wings do lack 
a lot of offensive talent. The players who will be surrounding him are skilled. Like he'll be playing on the top end of the lineup, which is where the skilled players live exclusively. Not right now, but you know, when Larkin comes back and when Zadina's playing with him and what have you. Are we fully that- confident that's going to happen though? Just to play devil's advocate. <laughs> well, that's where we've seen him already, right? Like he's for the most There's- part been the, 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 marquee point of the Red Wings lineup right now. There's, there's legitimately only two top six forwards playing right now, and that's Zadina and Verona, and they are split up for whatever that's worth. Well, I don't maybe agree, Maybe out I, of necessity, absolutely yeah. an argument, but I'm just, I'm just saying, uh, if we have the same coach, which it looks like we will, this is something we've not been guaranteed in the past. Brad, are you wrong? Absolutely not. Is this something that we should be cognizant of in the future? Absolutely. Do I care to pay attention to this right now or even accept this as a reality? (laughs) No, man. Piss off. No one needs this right now. We know the truth. I know. Evan knows. All the listeners know. We don't need to hear it. Let us pretend for a little while, Brad. Let us dream. Jacob Verona, 23 minutes a night for the rest of his Red Wings career. That is what you can expect. Yeah. And that, that would be a hell of a step up from the 14 minutes he got after he scored four goals. Shh, anyways. Shh, 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 shh. Anyways, uh, thrilling goal from Verona, uh, which led to a three, one loss to Carolina, but Hey, we're at the point of the season where a win is great. And a loss is great. Cause it just means better lottery odds. Uh, next game was hilarious because Grice put out a fantastic shutout against the, uh, reigning cup champ tampa bay lightning and detroit's shootout lineup was like those goals that went in were fantastic uh verona hit the forsberg and for those of you who don't know it's the one-handed tuck around the goalie usually on the backhand of the blade um i live and die for shots like that in the shootout like i understand they're a little bit tricky and they're not always the most effective but when you live through the shootout era with Pavel Datsuk on most of them, it is nice to see the return of shots like that. Yes. Uh, Verona has pulled the Datsuk move in the past in a shootout. So when he was shooting, I was kind of hoping he didn't. His alternative, still amazing. Zero complaints here. Um, Philpola's shot, the... Like that was legitimately a dat. Like I, I know it's not exclusive to Datsuk, but that was a Datsukian move that we're used to. Like the forehand, backhand deke, but you kind of mask a shot in the middle of bringing the puck back from your or feigning bringing the puck back from your backhand to your forehand. Like you, I don't know how to describe it. You're a forward, Brad. You can probably uh, articulate this better than me. But when you when you go backhand high in motion in a stride as if you're deking. Yeah, it's a gr- it's an effective move. It's actually way tougher to pull off than it looks because the forehand backhand moves simple and usually effective, but in most cases the player will actually continue that direction with their body. They'll have their momentum taken that way. Philpla and and again the way Datsuk does it and Patrick Kane does this move a lot too. He didn't break his momentum. He was still skating to his forehand side. So all he was doing was he brought the puck from his forehand to his backhand just to change the angle of the shot. But when you roll your wrists over like that on your backhand with your momentum taking you away from it, it's incredibly difficult to A, get that off in proper timing and then B, get enough mustard behind it to get it up and over the goalie's pad. And I didn't think Philip had that in him anymore, but oh, was it a pleasant surprise. Yeah, that was the Valtteri Filippola who scored uh, OT winners during the Red Wings playoff runs back in the day. Like back in their his initial stint with Detroit. That was like 
I saw him shooting and I wasn't pissed again. It's the end of the season. It's I, I really don't care. Joe Valeno got Joe Valeno got a shot, so I was like, I really don't care what happens other than this. Uh but when I saw Philpola go in, I was like, whatever. It's Philpola. Oh, oh, that's Philpola. That's a great goal. Uh Zadina scored and Sam Gagne hit the winner. And it was just hilarious to watch Tampa Bay struggle <laughs> against the Detroit Red Wings all night and then end up losing. And everyone, like a lot of people who are uh, uh, vocal about the tank, and they come up on Twitter. I don't think they're wrong necessarily. I think we're just burnt out about trying to maximize lottery odds that we're not so wound up, wound up about it. And as we've preached to you, this isn't the draft year to get too upset about where you're picking if you get moved down. Um, but what else were the Red Wings supposed to do? They have barely scored over the past two weeks. Like, Grice played well, but Tampa Bay had nearly two minutes un- uninterrupted of five on three. And what did they do? They shot into pads and passed around for two minutes. Like, Detroit gave Tampa Bay every opportunity to win that game. Yeah, this is almost worst case scenario lately, truthfully. Um, as Ryan mentioned, it's not worth getting worked up about this year because for me, at least on my draft rankings, the top seven are all interchangeable. And a guy who's projected to go in the top three isn't in my top seven. So for all intents and purposes, top eight is interchangeable. So if this were any of the previous two years, what the Red Wing, what's been happening to the Red Wings lately and what the Red Wings have been doing lately, I'd be furious. It's just not worth getting angry about because the Red Wings aren't playing well. They're, they've been playing god awful. Um, they've literally just been saved by Grice and Bernier. Thomas Grice pitched back-to-back shutouts and was one Sam Gagne shot away from losing both games. How is that possible? I didn't bother to look it up, but there's no way that would have ever happened in NHL history before. Back-to-back shutouts, and he came within a whisker of losing both games. And he actually did lose one of them. It's just unfathomable how bad this team has been lately. And they're getting points in the standings that they absolutely do not deserve. But again, this isn't the year to get worked up about it. It's just not. And that's the lucky reality of this. The next game was a similar story. Tampa Bay did end up winning it. That was just earlier today, 2-1. Again, Bernier kept him in the game. Uh, Zadina had a goal on a nice give and go from uh, him and Nemesnikov, which actually started with a Bernier save at one end of the ice. Other than that, the only remarkable thing about that game was people tuning out of the TV broadcast and listening to Kent Cal on the radio, which I think was a better decision. Anyhow, two games left in the season, uh, Friday and Saturday, both against Columbus, both at 7 p.m. and both on the road uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And then that's it for the year. So we're almost there, folks. More on that to come. Uh, I first want to address one point. There has been a new TV deal. Uh, We talked to you about the ESPN side of things, but there was another half that the NHL had to sell the TV rights to. Uh, Like we mentioned, it's not NBC and it is uh, Turner slash TNT. Um, and HBO is going to be involved in there as well. Um, we're actually pretty excited about that. We're going to save the full story for another episode just because this one's pretty full, especially with the interview. Uh, but that's something that we're hoping can re-energize uh, the national broadcast or the TV broadcasting situation for the NHL. Um, and if you're the kind of person who's interested in this kind of thing, it's a good financial help for the NHL too. It's not going to change the salary cap because there's a ton of money owed for uh, escrow for these players in the coming years, but in the future, it should help a little bit. Yeah. Charles and I, Barkley calling NHL games, please. 
honestly, I I want to see a lot of crossover because the NBA on TNT is probably the best sports show, whatever you want to call it, in all major sports. Um, they have fun with it. They don't take themselves seriously. Shaq and Charles Barkley are there. It's entertainment. It's the one thing that the NHL has been missing. And the best part about this deal was the president of uh, Turner Sports over was says, yeah, we're looking to bring elements from what we do with the NBA to hockey, which is music to my ears because I don't want to see more Keith Jones and Mike Milbury and Mike Babcox and these stuffy, grumpy old assholes talking on TV anymore. I don't think anybody does. I don't care how good their insight is. If the broadcast is unwatchable, nobody's going to listen. And yeah, there's guys out there. You need good analytical breakdowns. You need it. It's it's hockey. You have to educate the fans at some point, but it can't be just that. It can't just be ripping apart a play. It can't just be talking about the way it was back in the 80s. No, it's got to be fun. Don't put the same types of people. Put, you know former players with big personalities on this panel and let them have fun with it and don't censor them and don't ruin it. Cause as good as TNT has done with basketball, I do have legitimate fears that the NHL will get in their own way. Like bring on Kevin BX. NHL Brad. No, come on. Never. Like when PK Subban retired, (laughs) PK Subban shouldn't have his skates off after his last game. By the time TNT is throwing a contract in his face to appear on TV, like those type of players, hockey players have good personalities. They just usually are too afraid to bring it out. So find the guys who aren't put them on the panel and have fun with it. And, from the sounds of it, that's exactly what they plan to do, and I couldn't be more excited. Well, more on that to come. Uh, Evan is auditioning. He will have to have, I think, a, a an intravenous dose of Monster Energy drink in his arm to be able to do it. Um, but I think it could be fun. Promise him a, a round of golf at the end of it. I will take all the golf I can get right now since I have zero golf. Uh, of course, that's the part you focus on. Evan is very, like, my dog is food motivated. Evan is golf motivated. It's true. He'd be a terrible NHL player. You'd try to lose. You'd try to tank at the end of the season, if, even if your team was in the playoffs. I'd be like Taylor Hall trying to be on the worst team every single year. <laughs> Just Except take big money now. to go to Buffalo. Yeah, my no trade team list is just anyone in the top 15 who are in the playoffs. You're going to finish your career with like 1,200 games played, like 32 in the playoffs total. Yeah, I'll have like, yeah, 16 playoff games total, but 1,000 games played. All right. Well, uh, again, more to come on the TV deal and the future of broadcasting the NHL. For now, uh, we want to give you some updates in the world of prospects. Let's start with the U18s. We are now in the realm of knockout stages. Uh, We have an understanding. Are we not? Yeah. Oh, okay. You raised your eyebrows, Brad. I was like, I swear we are. Anyhow, uh, we are now in the round of knockout stages. We've seen some big performances uh, from some key players. Uh, let's get some updates um, from around the U18s. Brad, why don't you start us off? Well, in typical U18 fashion, the tournament's been utter chaos outside of Team Canada. Um, the Americans, after blowing a 5-1 lead to Russia... Uh, had a nice come from behind victory against Finland where they actually tied it with about a second left and then uh, 
Sasha Pastajov had a really nice goal in overtime to win it. So given that it, it's kind of a weird tournament because it's been flipped normally. Normally, Team Canada doesn't send a very strong team to the U18s because most of their guys are still in the CHL playoffs, but the states send the full boat to the U18s. This year, a lot of players weren't released from the states because they're still playing, and Canada was wide open, so it's kind of been the inverse of normal. Um, But the states have been a very entertaining team. I've been a big, big fan. This tournament of uh, Pastajov, as I mentioned, and Sean Behrens has actually been a very pleasant surprise. Not not a huge surprise. He's a projected second-round pick, at least by most rankings um, from what I've seen. But He's had a very strong tournament, and uh, the states have been wildly entertaining, which has been fun. They've been must-see TV. Them, Russia, and Canada alone are worth watching. Because speaking of Rus- Russia, man, get get to know the name Matvey Michkov really well. He pulled the lacrosse move as a newly sixteen-year-old. He's not draft eligible till 2023. Oh, and in the same game as the lacrosse move, he pulled a tweener goal from 10 feet away from the net on a one-timer. My 16. And he just turned 16. Like, he has not been 16 for that long. If this kid was hanging out in front of my house, I'd be annoyed because of, like, like he's... He's that he's that young. Nine goals, two assists in four games. And we've talked about Michkov before on this podcast. Like he's been in the world of like uh, prospects and, and scouting prospects. Like he's not a secret, but he's far out, right? Twenty twenty three, and you're st- we still have this draft to go through. We have the you know Shane Wright draft to go through. And when people think twenty twenty three, because prospects or the world of hockey is a little bit North America centric in terms of conversations, they think Connor Bedard. But yeah. Mitchkoff is just he looks special he looks special he is within striking distance of Cole Caulfield's all-time goal record uh, for a single tournament Mitchkoff is coming back next year Caulfield did it when he was 17 this is Mitchkoff's warm-up for the real thing next year it's which is scary to think about it is absolutely incredible. It's it's been nice to see. Other stories, of course, Connor Bedard has just as a very young player has looked not at all out of place and very much showing why he's in contention with Michkov for first overall. Um in part of this 2023. Is probably yeah, in 2023. And part of this is probably because we've gotten no look at these prospects all year. There was no CHL season. There was like limited play everywhere. It's like pick your favorite player on, on Canada or the States and they played in the Slovenian 10th league or something like that's the only place they can oh, get yeah. games. Um, but it's been a fun tournament for showing the future of hockey. Well, yeah, because even obviously us being in Canada, I've primarily been watching Team Canada and I've caught most of all their games and it's funny because I'd be watching and I'd see a really nice play, but like, who the hell was that? Ryan Winterton. Who the hell is Ryan Winterton? Oh yeah, he hasn't. He actually didn't even go to Europe. He hasn't played a game this year, and he was. I don't have time to scout sixteen-year-olds and seventeen-year-olds leading into a draft the year before, so I barely paid any attention to him. Unless Kitchener was actually playing, I think he plays for Hamilton. It's like, oh right, yeah, shit. He could go anywhere from the second to the seventh round. This is going to be yeah. chaos, and it's. Like Oleg Zellwigers had a pretty small tournament, barely seen him. Um, and it's been true up and down the lineup. Shane Wright has not played a competitive hockey game this year. 
this is first. And he's the almost surefire first overall pick in 2022. And mind you, he's played two games. I think he has five goals. So, you know, it's not like we're really not getting a, a feel for what he's about. But <laughs> for- when you're when you're five goals and however many games is un, like not notable compared to the rest of the field. <laughs> like it's it's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers because Shane Wright is eligible to come back next year. He was he didn't play two of the games due to precautionary reasons. Uh, which makes me think he's probably just nursing a small injury and and they don't want to push it unless they absolutely have to. So even with that, a hat trick in his first game, missed the next two, two goals in his game back. So And he is also eligible to come back next year. It's absolutely bonkers, batshit crazy, this tournament, and I love it. Uh, the guy we just did a prospect profile on, Mason McTavish, having a super strong tournament, coming in exactly as advertised, probably even better than... Um, yeah. One of one of my personal favorite targets for uh, the Red Wings in the early second round, uh, Logan Stankovan, having a fantastic tournament. Guy reminds me so much of Brendan Gallagher. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a crazy, crazy fun tournament, and it sucks it's not being aired in the states. But thankfully, up here TSN's been picking it up, so we haven't had to ride the high seas to uh to catch games. Yeah. So the uh, games upcoming are, um, and these are. Uh, quarterfinal games. Um, Canada or sorry, Russia versus Belarus. Actually, speaking of Belarus, Kirill Chuchiev, Chuchiev, Tutiev. I can never. I've I've heard ten different uh, pronunciations. I've been going with Chuchiev until someone corrects me. Yeah, uh, he signed his uh, an AHL deal with the Griffins. So we'll talk about it in a second. He's not from Belarus, but he did play uh, in the Belarusian league this past season. Um, and then we have Canada versus Czech, uh, Finland versus uh, Switzerland, and Sweden versus United States. So we'll update you as that tournament goes on. And we are going to be having uh, we booked in uh, Tony Ferrari to come in and give us a tournament wrap up uh, after that tournament has concluded to talk a little bit about what we can take away. From those prospects um yeah Kirill Tutiev kind of surprised to see him come over it's very rare for a seventh round pick to get a contract at all um and then to get an AHL contract um two seasons removed from being drafted in the seventh round is a really good sign because I have no idea what to expect from him next year absolutely none because when he was drafted, he was ripping up the lower levels, the MHL and the VHL in in Russia, which which is good, a great sign. But he's also tiny; he's like four foot two, one hundred and twelve pounds. Um, but he he's a very very gifted playmaker. Not the quickest skater in the world, but also not slow. If you're kind of wondering style of play, think not not it's not an apple to apple comparison, but think Taro Hirose. Um. And yeah, so he could come over next year and get one point in 56 games or be, you know, forty a 40, 50 point guy and neither outcome would surprise me in the least. But again, he's a seventh round pick. This is all quote unquote found money for the Red Wings. Yeah, it is nice to see uh, another instance of the Hakan Anderson pick come through. I always assume the the sixth, seventh round picks that come from like obscure places in Russia or uh, you know anywhere over in in Europe are the Hakan Anderson picks. So it gives you a little bit of faith. In any case, uh, it's an AHL deal, so we'll see if that turns into an NHL deal. Let's see how he does with the Griffins. Exciting to see him come over. Nice surprising bit of news. Um, 
Francesco Pinelli is today's NHL prospect profile. Again, still early stages of the uh, early stages of these, but every episode as we can, we are going to be running prospect profiles on on who you as Red Wings fans can look forward to uh, in this upcoming 2021 draft. Um, Francesco Pinelli has thankfully uh, been a notable part of the U18 tournament. So we have a little bit more insight into him. So Brad, take us away on Francesco Pinelli, the prospect. Well, I didn't pick him today for nothing because going into the game yesterday, and I think maybe still he was leading Team Canada in scoring. So even though they had Shane Wright, Connor Bedard, Mason McTavish, Pinelli was the guy. And that's even with getting benched in the third period of the second game against Latvia. So he's had a roller coaster of a tournament. Now, Pinelli is one of those super interesting case studies in how to evaluate a player because he's not a great skater. He's not a poor skater. He's he's above average for his age, but not by a lot. Pretty good shot, not anything special. Pretty good hands. I wouldn't say they're elite. Um, very good hockey sense. Very, very, very high hockey IQ. Um, he's the kind of guy where you can watch a full game. You notice him twice. And then when you check the box score at the end of the game, he had four points. He's he's just smart. He knows how to get in the right place at the right time. The two goal he had a hat trick against Switzerland, and every goal was just him getting to the right spot at the right time, and he met the puck there. It's just he the puck follows him. He knows where it's going to be, and he's ahead of it. Um, he he has a calmness to his game that I appreciate, but I know for sure is going to get misconstrued as laziness by a. NHL fans when he gets to that level. Uh, he's not as big as Anthony Mantha, but like he kind of looks like Mantha on the ice in the sense that it doesn't look like he's doing much, but he actually is. Um, it, it's interesting because again, my, my better comparison for him is, is a really poor man's Patrice Bergeron in that effortless style of play. And they, and he does it with his brain more so than his skill. Not that he'll ever be a Selkie candidate like Bergeron. That's not his specialty. He is. Don't get me wrong. He is an offense first player, but yeah, super fascinating. He had to play in, yeah, was it HCC Genesici in the Alps Alps League, like a Slovenian men's hockey team this year because he plays in the OHL for the Kitchener Rangers, and obviously they didn't. HL is a great league name. Alps, yeah. Alps HL, that's awesome. Love it. (laughs) It just seems like every arena is like on a scenic mountainside. (laughs) <laughs> if the hockey is not going to be top level, it might as well be pretty, you know? Exactly. Make sure every arena is equipped with a lot of windows. But so for us, we're lucky. Obviously, him playing in Kitchener as a 16-year-old, we had a lot of looks at him. So I'm probably more comfortable analyzing Pinelli than any other prospect in this draft. Um, just because even though he didn't play this year, I got to watch him 40 plus times last year. Um, so yeah, it's... He's fascinating. I could see him going as high as pick 15. I could see him going middle of the second round because he is a, he is going to be divisive just because of the unique tool set toolkit he brings to the game. So do I think the Red Wings will draft him? No, probably not because he's quote unquote doesn't look like the Iserman player. But if he's still sitting there in the red with the Washington first round pick at pick 25, fine. I mean, he's the guy I'm picking unless someone really crazy as fell. But yeah, I, I don't know. He's, he's going to be a fascinating watch in, on draft day. Yeah, you're not wrong that he's tricky, right? Because 
I don't know if I have a lot of faith in his skating, but he's so skilled and he's so good and tight. And you do see him, you know, deploy like a, a wider stance and he's, his edges aren't bad. Like when he's moving in small areas or, or displaying that skill or, you know, trying to create a play, it's all there. But I'm having a hard time placing where he is on the, is he not a good skater? Does he not use his skating enough? Is he just playing down to the level of the, you know, level of hockey he's at and he doesn't have to kind of go all out. He knows he can just think the game and utilize those puck skills a little bit more to, to do what he wants on the ice. I don't know. I, I'm not sure I've seen enough. I think I've been a little bit inspired, more inspired by what I've seen so far in this tournament. Um, yeah, you're right. This isn't someone that Detroit's going to pick with their pick in the top 10 likely, but end of first round. Yeah, quite possibly. I don't know if he's going to slip now. I think anyone who's, who's had a good display in the U18s or will have had a good display in the U18s, uh, won't be liable to go because that'll show a level of certainty and scouting teams are going to latch onto that for everything it's worth. Um, yeah, I, I think you really kind of illustrated him as a player. I'm getting a lot of the same conversations we had about Cole Perfetti last year. Not the same prospect, of course, not even necessarily the same type of player, but a lot of the, the questions around Cole Perfetti surrounded, can he skate? Does his lack of pace come from him just wanting to slow the game down or can he not pick up the pace even if he wanted to? So that to me is the biggest question with Pinelli. If his pace can can increase with the level of hockey, like if he can bring it up to a, a pro pace, like just at, at an average – and display that or if he like you say brad you think he's above average if he stays that way then yeah i would love him with detroit's second pick in the first round um but then i don't think he's going there he might though he he really might because guys slide in the draft you can be number two on 15 teams boards in a row it's happened it's how cam fowler fell out of the top 10 back in the day yeah, I think the concerns about his skating have been overblown. I don't think he's a poor skater. I just don't think he plays all that fast. I, I think I, I've seen him ramp it up with Kitchener. Like he can play off the rush. He can do it. Again, he's not gonna his skating's not to the point he can just put his head down and beat guys wide and cut to the net like McDavid does, but he can play with pace and he he can get going. So I I don't know. I, I, I like the player a lot. I know He'll be divisive, so a lot of people will vehemently disagree with me on that. I don't know. Evan, what else is there to say? Well, what else is there to say? <laughs> um, yeah, I think you guys covered like most of the points that I was going to make about him. Like, I, you know, there's on some websites, there's like the synopsis of all the journalists slash scouts, analysts that gives a little synopsis of the player and. A lot of them said his skating, he has fantastic skating, which, you know, I don't know if I really agree with. He's adequate, um, but I certainly think that would need to improve if he wants to play in the top six in the NHL. Um, but the one thing I, I really noticed about him or in the things I've seen in the one year that I've been able to watch while he's in Kitchener, um, he's good in all three zones already as a 16, 17-year-old. Um, which is really impressive for someone his age. Um, he's good in the offensive zone. If you watch any of his highlight tapes, he finds the soft spot in the defense all the time. Um, and you can't teach that. So that's a huge asset for him. Um, he's great in the defensive zone, which once again, very difficult to teach, um, to a 16 year old playing in the OHL. Um, and he's great in the neutral zone too. He he can really turn 
you know, the play around uh, with good transitional play. And he seems like a rather smart hockey player. So I don't think he slips to the second round because there's going to be a team who loves his style of game and uh, the the traits he has right now, plus how he's playing at the U18s. So I think if the Red Wings want him, they may have to trade up that first round pick because I don't think he'll be there. Well, depend, it's, depends what Washington, how Washington does, but I don't think he'll be there in the second round. Yeah, and I don't think that tr- that pick is getting traded up. So this might yeah. have to be, yeah. Maybe Washington we'll s- will go out in the first round. Who knows, man? Honestly, like, who knows? I'm excited to be able to watch the playoffs with a huge vested interest because a 10-pick variance is huge in the first round. Where Detroit picks is going to be massive for that, that second pick. Because if it's, you know, 22nd, Pinelli might be in range no matter how well he's rated. But if it's 32nd, then probably not yeah yeah i agree i i really like him um maybe i've got a little bit of hometown bias but um yeah he's got the tool set to play in the nhl it's just he's got to improve his skating i think just a touch um but i i think he could find his way into the top six on a team at some point hey last time the red wings took a player out of kitchener he's already outperformed his draft spot so you know maybe lightning strikes twice Who's the last player of the Detroit? Oh, Sabrango. That's right. Uh, okay. That is the Francesco Pinelli prospect profile. We are now going to jump into our interview with Igor Larionov II. Uh, again, that is the son of Red Wings great and hockey legend Igor Larionov. Uh, one of the most colorful, animated, uh, interesting, and cool people we've ever interviewed. Um, and it's fun to get perspectives from a legitimate pro hockey player. So uh, chock full of great stuff. Some people were like, post the unedited interview. I promise you, I didn't edit a single thing. (laughs) Like I did not one thing was cut from this interview. You're getting it in all of its stupid glory. So without further ado, enjoy our interview uh, with Igor Larionov II. Here to dethrone Evan as the master of the 69 joke, we are joined by Igor Larionov II. Igor, all the way from sunny LA. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, super excited to, you know, talk some 69 jokes and talk some hockey. <laughs> it's the gist of the podcast, so you can hang around for however long you want. Perfect. Although I I will say, um, seeing you in warm weather clothes and seeing the sun in the background and we're here <laughs> pissing gray rain, still freezing cold out, uh, not off to a hot start. It's a little annoying. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> No, so, it's tough, man. The sun, beautiful weather. It's, uh, <laughs> it's tough to wake up every morning. Good weather, beautiful sun. All know, right, birds are chirping. All right, and you had your uh, your little brother Alfie with you. Oh yeah, he's sleeping now. I just had to feed him so he doesn't, you know, start begging for food. Alfie, another original Larionov. All right, uh, let's just talk about it. You just played a uh, season in the KHL. You played for uh, Kunlun Red Star, which is usually out of Beijing, but you were out of Moscow this year, obviously, because of COVID. Uh, what was that like? It was a lot of fun. The, the team, we had mostly North Americans, and it was one of those things where usually I feel like teams are kind of – people are friends, but in reality, they – wouldn't be too upset if one of their teammates got a season ending injury or something, you know, more playing time. But over there, everyone was so, you know, friendly with each other. We were all like pulling for each other. And it was one of those things where like when a situation is kind of like kind of shitty, you got, you guys bond a lot. So it's one of those things where 
we bonded on all the things like that would happen. We'd like walk in the locker room and see something that you typically wouldn't see in North America. We'd just look at each other like, what the hell's going on? And then we'd be like, oh, okay, so this is this is legit. And things like that really brought us together. But in terms of the hockey, we, you know, we had a we had a strong team. There was obviously some difficulties this year because you couldn't really see your family, you couldn't see your girlfriends, your kids, any of those things. So guys are pretty much by themselves, and that was that's tough mentally. And I feel like the coaches they they didn't really think about the mental aspect of things. So once we started losing a couple games, it sort of you know guys sort of lost faith because. You know, the finish line seems really close when you haven't seen your families or kids, you know, your loved ones for so long. And yeah, it was one of those things where I think in a different situation, our team could have done some damage. You know, we had a good players, we had um, a good mix, but in terms of, you know, all the outside pressure of COVID and, you know, just living in a foreign country without, you know, any support or love from, you know, your closest people, it was kind of tough. So but in general, for me, I got to live with my dad at his apartment, which was sick, you know, free rent, which is obviously a, a big thing. But no, it was it was a blast. It was a ton of fun. Um, it's a good league, uh, fun games. A lot of fans came to the games because they don't really, you know, care about coronavirus over there. So no, it was it was a great experience, honestly. And looking back, it was probably the the best however many five or six months of my life it's you know sometimes i'll be like up in the middle of the night and i'll be just like man if i had a time machine i'd go back because it was just that much fun i mean we've all heard the, the khl stories and the russian hockey stories was was there a moment that season that kind of encapsulated or your first moment of yeah this is one of the stories i've heard about yeah every single day <laughs> it was I have an entire folder on my phone. I think it's like a 35 minute read just of stories that happen in Russia. And it's like unbelievable things like from one of my friends didn't was scratched one time because they forgot to put his, you know, nameplate on his Jersey, like from something as dumb as that. Uh, this year I, we had a game against Magnitogorsk and they put me on the second line. I'm all pumped. Coach comes up to me before the game morning skate, you know, you can use your speed against these guys. They have some big deep. They're not good skaters. Like I expect, you know, a couple points. I'm like all pumped up. I go home for the pregame nap. I wake up, get a phone call from my uh, GM. And he's like, uh, you know, we actually forgot to submit you to the roster for today's game. So uh, sorry, but you can't play. Paperwork issue. Just like stuff like that, that would never happen here. Happened there all the time. And that happened, I think, four or five times where they literally just forgot to change the roster from the last game because you have to submit it, I think five hours before the game to the league. And yeah, it was just a mess like that. And then a lot of the times, for example, we had an international break this year where typically most teams get like two, three days off. There's like five, there's five days off. You get three days off and then two days you go like light skates just to you know, get back in the groove. And our coaches are like, no, we're not doing that. We're doing three days. <laughs> so we're doing mid season three days. We're sleeping in the rink in between practices and we have dudes playing the NHL like Andre Schuster was one of my good friends and he was like looking at me and we were just like the hell is going on here it's like it's the middle of the season we just came off like this grueling road trip where we won like two of the three games and instead of giving us like time off we get to the rink we work out we skate we sleep in the locker room and then two hours later we skate again and it's like one of those things where it's like what is going on it was it was just bizarre every single day something crazy happened and if i were to go on about these stories i could go on for days and days it's just it's insane you guys spent less time on three days you might have been able to uh spend some time doing the next day's roster <laughs> for real <laughs> literally um 
All right, I'm going to mix in some fan questions here uh, and feel free to just kind of answer them as you please, or I don't know mm. if there actually is an answer to a lot of these. Uh, Pete from Twitter wants to know, have you ever been babysat by a Red Wings? And if so, who was the best one? Or I guess what's the uh, what's your experience mixing with the Red Wings from when you were younger? I don't really remember much because I was so young, but I do remember that uh, the Shanahans would always babysit us because we lived pretty close. So Brendan and Catherine Shanahan would... Um, I don't think they had kids at the time, or maybe they were very young. So it was one of the two. I'm pretty sure they didn't have kids yet. So they would look after me and my sister sometimes when my mom and dad would go to like, you know, dinner or something. And yeah, it was, it was cool. I don't really remember much of that because I was so young, but just, it's one of those things in the family that, you know, you remember that they babysat you. And I think Stevie Y babysat me maybe once or twice, me and my sisters. I know Pavel did a couple times too, but he was like, pretty young at the time. So I think he just, my dad made him cause he had, he was just too afraid to say no or something. But, um, no, it was, it was, it was cool. Like, I don't really remember much of it, but like, obviously when they see me, they, they're like, Oh, I remember you when you were like this tall. And I'm like, dope. I don't remember that at all, but like, cool. <laughs> I can't possibly imagine Pavel Datsuk babysitting a small child just with how awkward he's been in interviews. <laughs> but hey, I, I guess uh, you know your dad and him obviously would have had the connection, so that makes sense. Um, but obviously, you grew up in the rank and you've grown up around hockey bros. And honestly, the thing I think I appreciate about you as a hockey player more than anything else is off of the ice and out of the rink, you still act like the goofball hockey player that we all are. Most hockey players shut down for an interview. You lean into the 69 jokes. This interview came about because of a joke you made on Twitter about Big Beaver Road. And in Windsor, I still remember when you had a goal where you and your teammates did the curling celebration. So you lean into the dumb stuff, which I love. So I, I got to know, is this just you being you or are you making a conscious effort to go out of your way to bring levity to the sport? Um, honestly, it's a bit of both. I obviously try to, you know, show some personality, but if we're being totally honest, I have a filter for a lot of the stuff that I like would say, cause typically I'm a lot crazier, a lot, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say dumber because like, I obviously read a lot of books and like, I consider myself to be, you know, an intelligent young man. <laughs> but, um, in terms of just like goofing around and joking around. Yeah. I, a lot of the times I have to like tame it down a bit because I, I'm pretty crazy when it comes to that. Like even the Windsor celebration thing, that was, that was a blast, like doing a curling thing. And then my coach benched me, he was screaming at me and all these things. And then the next day we had a sold out crowd. The The video was all over the internet, all over the world. And they didn't say anything to me. They were like, where'd you even see this? I was like, the NFL, the NFL team did it. They're like, oh, well, you're not the NFL. I'm like, yeah, exactly. We make a lot less money. We're a lot less popular. So maybe we should be like the NFL. And And they were like, I don't know. These dudes, they didn't really understand what I was, where I was coming from, but no, for me, I just want to have fun. Like it's obviously hockey is hockey is the only sport. I think that the best product is the actual gameplay. Everything else about the sport is garbage. Like you look at guys, it's so boring. Like when they asked McDavid the other day, like, are you going to get a hundred points this year? He was like, Oh, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, I care about the team. Uh, like dude, just like show some personality, say something funny, be like, like, if I was in that situation, I would honestly be like, I would copy Michael Jordan and be like, beginning of the year, someone said I can't get 100 points. I took that personally. Just like something like funny or like 
get a get a headline but no you just it's like the opposite they don't want the sport to go this way they just want it to go even more boring and that just annoys me so whenever i have the opportunity to say something funny or say something stupid like i'll go ahead and say it because at the end of the day i'm growing my brand i'm growing the sport so like if you think i'm an idiot cool but like i know what i'm doing so i'm cool with that yeah we i've i know over the past couple of years we've been really kind of into like william nylander and austin matthews like wearing fashionable clothing rather than just the typical suit so it's nice to see stuff like that so i totally appreciate what what you bring um with your brand um the one question i wanted to ask you was when did you sort of realize the the gravity of who your father was is in the hockey world and did that sort of make it more pressure for you as you were going up uh like through the the junior ranks uh, yeah, um, that's a good question, actually. I Growing up, I always knew he had um, a big name, and I knew I had a big name because there was always a lot of attention to me, even from, you know, squirts, mites, peewees, all those ages. Like, whenever I'd play, there was always a big crowd because they all wanted to see, you know, the Hall of Famer son. That was, like, whatever I wanted to see. And I got a lot of cheap shots growing up because, obviously, everyone wants to hit, you know, the kid whose dad played in the NHL for, like, 100 years. So, for me, that was always funny because I – deep down inside i love to be sort of like a little bit of an agitator when i play i like to get into it and i like when people you know take penalties on me so i was always cool with that it didn't really bother me in terms of like pressure expectation it's like my dad i think is the first or second all-time in trophies one in the history of hockey like if if i win two stanley cups one olympic gold medal four world championships i'll still have a worse career than him <laughs> and if you look at that career, that's a Hall of Fame career by any standards. So, like, honestly, like, there's there's no pressure at all. Like, no matter what I do, I'll be worse than him in terms of my career path. But you look at a guy like, I don't know, David Clarkson, he made like 100 million bucks. Like, I could have a career, not win anything, make a ton of money, score a lot of goals and have an impact. And sure, I might not be historically remembered as having a better career. But in my eyes, like, I had a great career and that's all that matters. So, for me... Yeah, I mean, it's there's some pressure because obviously people expect you to be, you know, as good as one of the greats of all time, which is kind of unfair. But at the same time, I love the spotlight. I love the attention. So if that gets me more attention, that gets me more spotlight. You know, people can keep comparing me to him and keep uh, bringing that up. So for me, it's totally cool. It's it's a part of my life. You know, it's for me, it's just my dad. And I had to accept that from an early age. Yeah, I was uh, when I looked up some of your dad's uh, stats before this interview the uh laundry list of things he's won in the hockey world is ridiculous like it just goes on forever so he did all right for being drafted in the 200s yeah the crazy part is i was looking at his stats the other day too and like the dude's putting up like 50 points and he's like 45 it's like are you insane ridiculous absolutely (laughs) ridiculous it's insane like you look at guys now yeah you look at like joe thornton now or like I don't even know Patrick Marlowe and we're all like, wow, these guys are so great. Like playing when they're like 39, they're putting up like 10 points. My dad at 39, I think he had like 68 points or something. It's like, bro, like chill, like <laughs> let the young guys have a chance. Yeah. And your dad's last season with Detroit, he played 74 games and have 43 points. Like Unreal. that's super productive. Unbelievable. That's like a career year for most guys. Yeah. He was, he was, he would have been past 40 when he scored that triple OT goal, right? Like he was 42. That is That's one of the gr- greatest goals in hockey history, and it was done by a 42-year-old. That's amazing. Yeah, at like 4 a.m., like the dude's probably got like a <laughs> dentures <laughs> on the bench or something. 
listen, I know at 30, being up past midnight, I am toast the next day. So that is incredible that your dad was able to do that. I, I work out often enough play hockey all the time and in the third period of a beer league game my legs are starting to feel it i couldn't imagine even functioning in the sixth period of a stanley cup final game and he did it at 42 just thinking about that my self-confidence dropped about six percent it's it's crazy like i look at his stats and throughout the 80s it was always considered like the top three centers in the world were like mario lemieux gretzky and then my dad and I just always thought, like, imagine if he played in the NHL from the age of 18, how many points he would have. If he was, you know, putting up pretty insane numbers as like a 35-year-old, 37-year-old, 40-year-old. So if he played from 18 all the way until he retired, I think at 45, I'm pretty confident he would be top two, top three points all time because playing for that long and even if your statistics are like split in half, like let's say... He was half the player when he was younger, which I think he was probably three times the player when he was younger. A 44-point season, that's like almost a 90-point, 100-point season. So if you if you think about it, like that's, you know, eight, nine hundred point seasons taken away, if not more, you know, and in the 80s, obviously, they were scoring a lot more than the 90s. So that's potentially 120, 130-point seasons for 10 years. Add that to his, you know, last, however, 14 years. That's like Yager numbers or Gretzky numbers. So for me, just thinking about that, it's like, damn, that's pretty insane. Like if he played his full career, like obviously he's a great player and everyone like remembers him, but like how much more of an impact, you know, people would have, he could have truly been in the GOAT conversation, you know, I think if he played over here for his whole career. Anything you don't like about your dad's game? Um, yeah, he switched to an iTech helmet in uh, I think 2000. That was kind of a <laughs> dusty move. <laughs> Bad gear wear, <laughs> terrible gear wear. Like if you were the Jofa for like 800 years dude just retire in it you know like he played three years in a, or four years in an iTech helmet and apparently iTech signed him to a sponsorship deal and like they got us like a grill or something like I would not damage my integrity for a grill like the number one thing for me is to look cool I'm not going to wear an iTech helmet for a grill like and I'm not even talking about the grill on your teeth like you know riffraff or something I'm talking about the thing that you like cook burgers and steaks on like that better I understand. than one hell of a grill yeah, I mean, it's a cool grill. We had it for almost 12 years. Like, I love that grill. But, like, you're a professional athlete making millions of dollars. Like, you can afford a grill. <laughs> like, it's – I don't know. I just – I'd keep the Joe I'd keep, the, you know, the the drip. Keep it fresh. <laughs> the, uh, the one thing I've always been curious about, kind of circling back to an earlier conversation, is we all know how genetics work. And we know generally the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Your father is known as one of the most intelligent human beings in hockey history. His nickname is The Professor. And his son is the one wearing 69 and cracking these dumb jokes on Twitter. So I want to know, is... Your dad more like you behind the scenes than we know about? Honestly, not really. He's pretty like smart. But like at the same time, I'm also the thing about me is I feel like I can adapt to most situations where with my dad, I can be like the I'll put my glasses on. I'll be like the the junior professor. I'll talk about like the theories of chess and like if it's a good if 1977 was a good year for wine or whatever, like like boring stuff like that. But like when I get into like a regular situation, I'll talk about just about like, I don't know, like funny stuff, but he's, he's got some jokes. He's uh he's pretty funny. He likes to, he's pretty ruthless. Like he likes to roast a lot. Like when the whole family gets together, we, you know, we, we throw some jokes at each other and just kind of that kind of stuff. But 
in terms of like 69, he didn't even know why I picked 69. He was like, oh, does six plus nine, is that equal 15? I'm like, you got it, man. That's that's exactly yeah, why dude. I picked it. <laughs> that is so <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that kind of went over his head, but like, I don't know. I feel like Russians don't really realize the whole 69 thing. And honestly, when I picked it, it was, we had four options in terms of jerseys when the GM called me and two of them were too big. So it was between, I think, 69 and number 88. And I was like, which number will impress more girls? And I picked 69. And at the end of the day, man. that that worked for me in the short term. And yeah, it was it was a blast. And I, I played well with that number. So why would I change it now? I'm not superstitious, but I'm a bit stitious. So I might keep it. <laughs> if you make the NHL, are you going to keep it? 100%. If they let oh, me. Yeah. Like, they should let me though, because like that will sell out the number one jersey in the in the in the league. Like it's oh my it's god, a smart marketing idea. Evan's ri- Evan is actually rich as hell. I don't know if you know this, but he's a billionaire. He doesn't tell us how, but for sure this dude's a billionaire. He would spend <laughs> all of his money on Larry on off the second sixty nine jerseys. Perfect. If you get it done. if you made the show, would you do Larry on off the second or just Larry on off on your jersey? Um, maybe the second because I don't think anyone's done it before, and that, it's like not not because. I prefer to go the second or because I think it looks cool just because no one's done it before. That's probably the only reason why I do that. All right. So we've talked a lot about your dad. I'm sure we'll have more questions about that, but more about you. You're, you're a pro hockey player. You just played a season in the K you've, you've come up through the ranks. You played uh, in Quebec. You played in my hometown, Windsor. You played for Muskegon for half a season. What's next for you? What are your plans? Yeah. So for now I'm just talking to my agents. I'm, I'm training right now. I got, um, four times a week come in the gym and then I don't like to skate too much in the off season because I feel like I um by the time the season starts my body's kind of like worn down so what I typically do is I I for the first three months four months of off season I just go to like you know a couple of beer league skates during the week like there's a pretty good group here actually like um a lot of retired pros like actors producers you know that whole thing so it's it's an interesting crowd which I really like because it's almost more stimulating for the mind than it is for the body in terms of training. So that's something that I really find interesting, just, you know, talking to these people, learning about their industries and all those kinds of things. But yeah, I have some options in North America. I have to talk to my agents about, you know, potentially going to some camps or just signing a straight up AHL or whether, you know, I could potentially sign entry level if I were to go to a camp or something. But, you know, there's not too many guys that were able to play in the KHL at a young age. So people for some reason think that's cool over here and we can definitely use that for (laughs) negotiation or whatever. And yeah, no, I'm just trying to get my body, you know, to hundred percent, trying to get my conditioning to hundred percent. And it's one of those things where like, I know I skated with enough pros. I've trained with enough like NHL high level guys that when I'm at hundred percent, like I don't doubt that I'm any worse than these guys or that they're any better than me. So when I'm at my best, I know that I can show up to a camp and I can, you know, earn a spot or steal someone's spot. So I'm, I'm not too worried about that. Hockey's always been the one thing that I don't need to worry about. Like, I just work hard and things, you know, sort of take care of itself, you know, when you show up to a camp or to a new team. So in terms of that, I'm just focusing on just getting stronger, improving little things, watching some players that I, you know, look up to a little bit. And yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. And I think that, you know, the next two, three years will be a really fun and cool time for me. So I'm just excited for that. We'll get back to your career because obviously we want to know more, but I, I'm not going to let you skate past the one thing you mentioned there. You said you're playing in a pickup with actors and producers. So I got to yeah. know out of <laughs> out of the non-hockey players, who's the biggest beer league hero out of uh, that group? Um, There's this one dude. He's this um, he's in this band. I'm not sure what the band is, but apparently everyone's like, it's a pretty big band, but I, I really don't know what it is. 
he never played hockey, but he can fly. Like I'm telling you, this guy's faster than than a lot of like the actual pros that I've played with. Doesn't really have too much hockey sense because obviously he never played hockey, but like he can fly. But in terms of a, of an actor that I saw, and I thought like, damn, this dude. I thought he was a former pro. Like that's how good he was. I thought he was a former pro that retired maybe a year or two ago, and that was Taylor Kitsch from Friday Night Lights. This guy is unbelievable. He is one of the best just hockey players I have seen in terms of his ability to see the play. Like right away, I can tell when I skate with someone who hasn't played hockey and who has at a high level, because you can look the part, you can skate, you can move. But when someone's actually played at a high level, when they get the puck, they have three options already. They have three progressions that they already went through and they know what they're going to do with it. And this guy, man, I, I'm not even kidding. Like I came up to him, I'm like, bro, I honestly thought you were a former player. Like you're, how, like how do you do it and he's like oh i live hockey it's like my favorite thing blah 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 all these things but i'm like it's actually shocking how some of these guys they're so good and they haven't played in i don't know like 17 20 years it's 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 impressive i'm like you you're better than some of the players i played against the khl this year and like here you know starring in like you know netflix series and like disney movies and all that but no it's it's impressive there's a lot of guys who you wouldn't think are good but they can they can play it's it's kind of cool it's kind of cool to you know, get out of that typical environment and, you know, get into a, cause the conversations are totally different from like a regular hockey locker room. They're much more, um, I would say almost like artistic artsy in a way compared to like a typical locker room where it's, you know, video games, girls, booze here, it's a bit more different. So yeah, it's cool to, you know, just rub shoulders with these guys and just learn. And honestly, it's for me, I've always liked being in different situations that sort of require you to, feel a bit uncomfortable because obviously I feel very comfortable being in the room with hockey guys. I've been doing that since I was, you know, two years old, but being in the room with like, you know, producers, actors, you know, directors, musicians, it's, it's a bit different. And for me, I think that's a cool opportunity to grow. And I'm super, super, you know, I think it's really dope. Uh, trying to petition yourself, position yourself there for a post hockey career. <laughs> I mean, you never know. Why not? Like <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where like you see a bunch of people doing it and it's like, cool. Like I could do a Russian accent, you know, wear my hair all the way forward down, down to here and be like, I must break you or something. And get your Adidas you know, tracksuit on. Oh, absolutely. Adidas tracksuit. I got a vodka bottle over there. Start doing some weird dance Perfect. moves. Like, you know, hit me up. You could be the bad guy in every action movie. Easily, easily, without a doubt. Like I got the tattoos, like right here. Let me show the, the, the money one. Where is it? <laughs> slower yeah. than you thought it, it's there somewhere <laughs> yeah yeah there it is but like yeah i Sick. mean that's literally russian bad guy 101 so you know netflix hit me up uh that actually we had a fan question from tess she wants to know if you're gonna get any more tattoos or if you have any planned yeah i have um like 10 more planned but i'm taking some time off i don't know why i'm taking some time off i feel like i'm kind of weird in terms of like just being a human being so i decided to take um eight months off for some reason i'm not sure why i feel like all of my tattoos have like a meaning so i just need some more meanings to happen for me to get some more stuff done so the winged wheel podcast tattoo probably shouldn't be too prominent but somewhere on there <laughs> i'll get it on my head of course my throat. <laughs> yeah nice and subtle um your uh your dream team to play for do you have one and that's from adrian oh yeah is it yeah do you think what do you think is my dream team? i'm just curious what do you guys think Oh, I mean, Shanahan babysat you and he's the president of the Leafs now, so it's got to be Toronto, right? Nope. 
Well, you were saying how you want players to have more style and market themselves. So I don't think playing for Lou Lamorello will uh will be up your alley. That's uh, that's, that's smart. That's smart. <laughs> you said no, you but, want um, to fall in your. Oh, you go ahead. Yeah, um, I my dream is honestly to play for the Rangers, like to play in New York City. That's I think Madison Square Garden is the most famous arena in the world, and just to experience living there, being an athlete. Like I read Sean Avery's um, memoir and the stuff he talks about, you know, playing in New York as a young man and really having no, because being a hockey player is an easy job. Honestly, what what you do is you work for an hour a day and then the rest of the day you have time to do literally whatever the hell you want. So like in a city like that, there's so many potential, you know, contacts, you can market yourself. There's so many free opportunities to network. And I feel like, a person like me, my career would be wasted playing in a small market where I literally could never network myself with anyone there. Because if I were to play in like a small market, what am I going to network myself with the dude who like sells like cow meat to Kroger? Like, that's just not like my thing. Like I'd rather, you know, do that with like, you know, someone in the fashion world, someone in that kind of industry. So a city like New York, I think, um, obviously LA is another city that I really enjoy. So one of these two teams, but in terms of like hockey being like, you know, the big thing, I'd probably prefer the Rangers and Madison Square Garden is, you know, obviously it's, it's the Mecca. So that'd be pretty cool. So who wants to be the the person to break the bad news to Columbus then? Or Winnipeg. <laughs> 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 I, I mean, like, obviously for you, that makes a ton of sense. But I, I feel like that's just kind of an open secret in the NHL. Obviously, it was rumored forever that Panarin wanted to go to the Rangers, even when he was just still with Columbus. And obviously Avery was very public about it. And now the Panarin's there and, and Shesterkin's there. Are you going to try and uh, milk some of those, that Russian brotherhood to get you a spot there? I mean, that'd be nice. I watch a couple of their games and I'm like, man, like these dudes, like honestly, like I see a lot of players and I see there's, there's quite a bit of players this year that play in the KHL with me or with against me. And, you know, a lot of them had less points than I did in, in less in, in more games than I played. So like I look at these guys and I'm like, you know, if you're in the NHL and like, you know, like I I can do it too because if I had more points than you in less games, then obviously the game isn't all about points, but like if I was able to at the end of the day, production still matters. You know, people look at production. So if I was able to produce at a higher level than you are in in, you know, less games, I think I have a chance to um, to also play in the NHL. So I look at every team and I definitely look at spots that I can, you know, potentially take or challenge for. And honestly, playing with a bunch of Russians would be cool because obviously my heritage and I, I know Shusterkin, um, met him a couple of times. He, uh, he trained at the same place that I trained to, uh, in Moscow a couple of years ago. So there's that connection, uh, Panarin. The thing is with me and Russian guys, they all know who I am because of like, obviously who my father is. So there is always that connection. And, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to do that. Like, um, Kraftsov is there now. My dad coached him a couple months ago for the Russian national team. And yeah, I just honestly, I feel like I could fit in. And I'm the type of player I I play better in the big, big scenario, big crowd. Like this year, we played against Scott St. Petersburg, the, the biggest team in the KHL. They could arguably maybe beat, you know, an NHL team on their night. They're, they have a payroll, I think, of $70 million. They're, Huge team, huge club. And that game, we're obviously Kunlin, we're not that good. We were the worst team in the league. And we ended up winning that game. I got a first star game winning assists, played out of my mind. Two nights later, we play in Torpedo or something. 
little town, middle of nowhere, no fans, bad team, and I have a horrible game. So for me, it's like, it's so much easier to play under, you know, the spotlight, the big crowd, the hype, you know, the challenge than it is to play against like even a bad team and like a bad team when there's no one there. So in a city like that, in an environment like that, you know, I really think I can flourish. So obviously you're a, technically you're a Michigan kid born in Detroit and, Mm -hmm. uh, there's is do you still face the kind of stigma that russian players typically face when you talk about pro hockey outside of the khl like for example in the nhl a lot of russians are immediately labeled with you know uh difficult to to work with or coach or they're selfish or anything like that have you kind of seen the same thing even though you're you were born in michigan honestly when i show up to a team i immediately just start talking about college basketball nascar um you know (laughs) baseball the home run derby like you know john carlos stanton's going for like 80 <laughs> home runs this year doesn't matter if that's a realistic number or not so i just i just play the american card as much as i can and like yeah bro like remember um denard robinson that guy was sick just like like random stuff like that just like weird like american things like college game day is my favorite tv show bro like stuff that i don't even believe in but like i'll just say that so they think i'm more american than i actually am so, yeah, I mean, in terms of that, I'm, I do a pretty good job of like persu- persuading them that I am like totally American, which I think I am because I literally went to school in America. I grew up here my whole life. And the only thing different from me to a different, you know, American kid is the fact that my parents are Russian. I spoke Russian at home. And, you know, typically in the summers, I travel, you know, overseas to Europe. And obviously, it's a bit different how you're brought up in terms of, um, stuff like that. But no, I mean, I, I think I'm just like a regular American dude minus the like, you know, the negative parts of being an American. All right. So, so I want to follow this up. I, I want to pit Russia against the States again uh, in mm-hmm. a different context though. So one of the big talking points uh, of the world juniors was the really unique style of coaching your dad implemented, which was more of the old Russian five style puck possession, yeah. no dump in chase, you know, toss the puck around. This is our puck until we deem otherwise. The NHL, for the most part, is the exact polar opposite. Tight checking, defense first, dump in chase. Does that not drive you a little nuts knowing how much success your dad had with that style of play versus this ultra hyper conservative style that they play in most professional North American teams. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's frustrating. You know, it's very frustrating when it, it, it can be so easy to play the game when it's a five man unit that just moves the puck and plays together. It's people think it requires insane amounts of skill. They're like, they bring the example of like, Oh, these guys had so much skill. Well, yes and no. If you look at my dad, he never did any fancy toe drags. He never did any of these like fancy dangles or moves. It was just kick, pick your head up, make a pass, get open. That's literally all it is. It, it honestly requires no skill besides from just using common sense and having some basic hockey IQ. So in terms of that, yeah, it's annoying because it's such a more entertaining game when people play, you know, the possession attacking style. And like some teams do play that game. I feel like Toronto does a decent job of that. Like, they play more of an offensive style. Like that's obviously fun to watch, but then you watch other teams like the Lula Morello um, teams, they're historic for, you know, playing, you know, defensive hockey. And that's really sure it might work, but I think that's kind of becoming obsolete a little bit because that kind of style isn't working. And honestly, looking at the game 
I feel like more and more teams are kind of progressing to that, you know, puck possession style. Because even if you look at, you know, some of the D coming into the league, some of the forwards, a lot of smaller guys are starting to come in because a lot more, you know, speed and skill is sort of required now than like just dumping it in and grinding away in the corners, you know, giving someone like a shot in the back of the legs or whatever. It's, it's moving in the right direction. But I think that honestly, if my dad's the type of coach where people usually say, oh, well, we can't do well because our roster isn't good. Well, I mean, you're the coach. Your job is to make the roster perform at its highest level. And I think that my dad is a type of uh, coach where he can take a subpar roster and make it better, you know, just based off the way they train, based off of the confidence he gives players, he can take a team that's, you know, at a B, a B minus level and bring them to an A from an A to an A plus. And I really think that given the opportunity in North America, he could, his style of play would, you know, dramatically change the change the games sort of how like you know golden state changed the total structure of the nba a few years ago and i think that's something that potentially should happen and i think it will happen but i mean it, it's one of those things that it could take the game to the next level both in terms of entertainment and in terms of like more people watching it because i feel like more people would rather watch um a 6-5 game than a 2-1 game and that's the most important thing that at the end of the day, it's entertainment business. It's, it's supposed to be fun and yes, you want to win, but would you rather lose two one or lose six, five where all of your guys had goals and the next game they're confident and they're more likely to win the game. If you lose two one, you get totally shut out. You, you don't touch the puck. You're going out the next game. You have no confidence because you barely play with the puck. You stood in defense the entire game and you stood in your set four check. There's nothing worse than that. I'd rather lose a game where everyone, you know, we lost, but we, we battled, we had chances, we scored goals, we have confidence, we're making plays. You're more likely to win the next game knowing that you have that ability than going out the next game after, you know, touching the puck four times the entire game. And I think that's something that should definitely be changing the NHL and just hockey in general. Igor, when you talked just now about uh, your dad getting the most out of the team and how he'd uh, change the style of the game, I want you to know that all however many thousand listeners are listening to this in their car at work and their headphones were screaming at, you know, into their phone, ask him the question. Do you think your dad, from what you know of your dad, do you think he'd want to come over to the NHL? And do you see him ever coaching the Red Wings? Um, Absolutely. I think that's his biggest goal in his life right now would be to come over to the NHL and be a coach. I mean, it's one, it's either that or to walk one of my sisters down the aisle is this, you know, thing that he wants more than anything in the world. But yeah, it's, I, I know for a fact he's wanted to be a coach for a long time. He's always he's always worked on it. People say like there's no experience, but like if you look at it the last ten years, every summer he's taken like his clients and every single day all summer long he's working with them and just stuff like that where sure he might not have game experience, but even now he's worked world juniors, he's worked Euro tours, international tournaments. So the experience is there. But the thing is if he's able to, you know, improve a player in a two week span, think of what he can do in a full year. That's that's insane. Like whenever I skate with my dad for two weeks, I go from this level to this level immediately. Like it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Like I literally can take off five, five weeks from, you know, after the season of not skating. And the first day I can barely catch a pass, barely do anything. Two weeks with, with just skating with my dad, I'm in mid season form. It's unbelievable. There's nobody that I've ever skated with or trained with that can do that. And you talk to all these guys and they all say the same thing. Like I'm talking to my buddies who run the Russian national team and they're like, it's it's unbelievable we don't want to go back to our teams we're having that much fun with him we're actually getting better so in terms of like 
coming over. I think that would be his and that would be the biggest goal he has in the first career right now. And I really hope it happens because he's amazing at coaching and that would be just so much it would do so much for the game and i really hope that you know because the, it's a great game but like if you want to get better you need to evolve and he can really evolve the game into becoming more entertaining and more you know appealing to the eye and that's something that is really important in my opinion can you guys think of how insane hockey town would go if larianov came back and was the one to lead this team back to a cup your dad he, he, that name would have been cemented in detroit legacy twice over with you playing on the team, of course. I mean, I'll start. I'll start the GoFundMe for the statue. Honestly, <laughs> I have no problem. I'll, con- I'll contribute the first few hundred bucks. I'm fully on board. So playing under your dad's not a. It's not a thing that you'd like would want to avoid. That's something you'd be into then. Honestly, I'd rather. That's like if I had a choice between any coach in the entire world, I would. I would pick him 100. percent I think he's without a doubt one of the best coaches i would say currently out in the world right now and it's it would be just the ultimate pleasure and the ultimate fun experience but also you get so much better as a player so like i don't see how any player wouldn't want to play for him it's it's absolutely it's the time of your life to be honest so we have a question here from uh, jake Mackey, and it's uh, kind of an open-ended one do you really believe that hockey is for everyone taking into account the effort or lack thereof that the nhl and the international leagues put forth in that you've been obviously really outspoken on twitter uh advocating um in a lot of different ways that's been you know to the to the applause and praise of a lot of people what's that been like and, and what's your take on uh, that part of the game um, that's a tough question because I do not think at this moment hockey is for everyone based on how the leagues and players and just people in hockey are treating, you know, people that are different to the typical hockey player. And that is very sad because a game should have no limits, should have no borders, and it should truly be for everyone. But when a certain type of person or a certain type of, of group of people feel threatened or they don't feel comfortable being themselves in a sport, you can't say hockey is for everyone because for hockey to be for everyone, the sport needs to open their arms, need to acknowledge, and most importantly, they need to listen to what people are saying. And when you listen to what people are saying and you understand and you implement the right changes, then yes, hockey is for everyone. That that saying is kind of kind of annoys me because you say hockey is for everyone, but you do nothing to, to prove it. So I think sadly at the moment, as much as I want it to be for everyone, there just isn't enough going on. That's not saying you shouldn't try, you shouldn't play hockey, but that's just, you know, sort of like me criticizing the the status quo of people saying hockey's for everyone, but really not doing anything besides putting up, you know, a commercial or something. When in reality, there's so much more we could do. Like even players individually could like when I tweeted a couple of things, people said I feel so much safer being in the hockey community, knowing that I have an ally on my side. And that's not that hard for a player or for a team to do. Like there's so much that can be done and Sadly, it's just not happening. So I think that it might be moving in the right direction. But at the moment, the hockey is for everyone. It's just, it's words and it's not actions. And that's, to me, that's devastating. I don't think that's the way it should be. And hopefully, um, hopefully that changes because it's a great sport and it should truly be for everyone, no matter what your background is, no matter, you know, who you love, no matter what your skin color is or what your religion is. Hockey should be for everyone at the moment. It's a very dangerous and um, intimidating place for, you know, people that don't typically look like or conform to the hockey societies and hockey norms.
Now, the one thing I'm curious about, obviously you'll have a unique perspective on this because you you play professional hockey. Um, I think it was Curtis Gabriel of the San Jose Sharks went on record in an interview this year saying he doesn't think NHL locker rooms are ready to accept gay players or trans players or whatever it might be. And he's, he's an ally and he says he's just, it's just hockey culture. Um, do you think that he's right? And if you agree, how far away do you think the average professional hockey locker room is from being fully accepting? That's hard. That's, that's a hard question because I, I do think that it would take a lot for someone to come out for someone to, you know, it, and it's, it's, it kills me because it's so sad that people have to, you know, they can't be who they are. They have to pretend and they have to lie because not because of, you know, themselves, but because of how other people will look at them. And that's just, that's just the biggest tragedy in my opinion, that you have to change who you are so that other people accept you. And that, I think that's just so stupid, but I think if someone were to come out and be in a locker room, it would be very difficult for them. It would be, um, they wouldn't be looked at the same hundred percent. They would be looked at the same. I don't think people would be openly, you know, joking about them or, you know, saying things about them. It would be more of like, um, it would be more of like talking behind their backs or, you know, just being like, Oh, it's so weird. And, and, and sort of like, making a person feel isolated in that environment instead of, you know, bringing your arms around them and being like, Hey, you know, I don't care. We're brothers. We're here to accomplish, you know, winning a title or just anything to win games. And I think it would mostly go from like, Oh, that's so weird. Like, do I want to go shower at the same time as this person? Like as stupid as that sounds, that's what people would be saying in the locker room. And I just think that's, that's tragic. And sadly, I think it's, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one because people in hockey locker rooms, they're, I don't want to say they're not educated on these subjects, but like, it's almost like a, a sense of toxic masculinity where if something is a bit different, you attack it instead of, you know, taking a step back, researching it, understanding it. And unless people are open and willing to do that, no good will come from a, you know, to a player that, you know, comes out, which as sad as that is, I just, I don't know personally, like if a player were to come out, like obviously someone like myself or someone like Curtis, we would, you know, do our best to, you know, support that player and try to, you know, just treat him the same way. Because in reality, like they're still the same teammate, they're still your same friend, but I feel like a lot of players, they would, they would look at them differently and it would, it would be tough for that person. I'm not gonna lie. It'd be really tough for that person. Well, extremely well said, Igor. Um, the hockey community is uh, better having you as an ally. Um, appreciate you kind of taking the time to say those things. It's not, these aren't easy conversations to have. And it, those are important words coming from an important person. So um, it does mean a lot. Um, speaking of com- <laughs> taking the hockey community by storm, I don't know what it's been over like the last two months. You've just like rocketed up the Twitter world. Now you're all over hockey Twitter. So if you guys aren't following Igor yet, he's at Igor Larionov. Uh, I, I are the second on Twitter. Uh, I'm sure you already are. You'll see him there. Uh, he'll, we'll retweet him from the podcast account. Um, Igor, best of luck in your, your summer off season in LA. Best of luck, uh, in your next steps in your career. We hope to see you in the show soon. And, uh, who knows? Maybe you'll be the first active NHL player to come on the show when we have you back. 
Perfect. I love that. <laughs> Beauty. All right. Uh, you're going to get a number 69 winged wheel podcast jersey eventually. Uh, in the meantime, uh, thanks for coming on the show and uh, we'll do it. Let's do it again. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to. Cheers. Welcome back. That was our interview with uh, Igor Larionov, the smaller version, the student. Do you think a lot of people called him the student as opposed to the professor? Or is that just like the world's corniest hockey nickname? God, I hope not. (laughs) I have definitely had a lot of hockey coaches who would have loved that nickname and who would have never stopped repeating it because they thought it was the most clever thing in the world, which isn't too far off how we are on this podcast. Oh, God. That's even a dad joke I wouldn't make, Ryan. If that's that's beneath you, it's that's It's low. All right, we're going to jump into overtime here. And overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, who we are proud to partner with uh, as FanDuel is the number one sportsbook in America. Uh, They're great for so many reasons. It's easy to use from registration to deposits and finding great bets. Uh, Withdrawals are quick and easy. You get your money back to you in as quick as 24 hours. More on that in a second. But for now, we're going to look look at some NHL odds uh, from the FanDuel Sportsbook, and we're going to make our picks and decide for you or maybe uh, if you want to pick the complete opposite of us to try and make more money because you know better than us very well may be the case uh for some the under every games. red wings game <laughs> yeah that is a, an aggressive line you should take is the under um let's take uh let's look at this dallas florida series dallas is coming in as dallas yeah, they're coming in as the underdog, plus 126 underdog. Uh, Over-under set at five and a half with the over being uh, the bigger money, the plus payout there. Who are you going with? Dallas, I'm taking the underdog here. Florida, I understand they're playing for seeding, but they have clinched a playoff spot. It's just home ice advantage doesn't really matter a ton this year. Dallas is three points behind Nashville with only one game in hand. They cannot lose any games at least not in regulation if they want to get into the playoffs so i i think dallas is coming out hyper motivated so i'm going with them here who's dallas playing florida florida's a minus 148 favorite i'm gonna go florida just because i haven't been inspired by dallas's goaltending honestly Am I pissed off that Hudobin lost me in my fantasy semifinals? Congratulations, Katie. Congratulations, Katie. Um, maybe. Uh, but I don't know. I've made, I, I can't have every team that has a lot on the line win. So I'm going to go Florida here. I'm going to go for the under money. Florida's favorited, obviously, right? Yeah, minus 148 favorites. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm – oh, I can't. My brain is My brain is off at the best of times today. Yeah. Um. I. I like Florida. I. I just like Ryan said. Kadoman does not inspire confidence right now, and apparently Florida can put anybody in net and win. So, um, I'll go with them. Didn't Spencer Knight play the other night? Yeah, he the Spencer Knight. Game. Yeah, he came in and uh, looked great. So, boo Florida. You figured it out. Uh, Vegas coming into Minnesota as the favorite. Minnesota's a plus 110 underdog at home. Uh, that to me screams bet on Minnesota to increase your money. Like I get that Vegas is a good team, but Minnesota has been one of the most surprising teams in the NHL this year. And Vegas has been the hottest team in the NHL over the last few weeks. And looking at the standings here, 
Um, Vegas is battling for first. Minnesota seems to have third just wrapped up in the West. It would take a miracle going. Uh, actually, yeah, St. Louis, I don't even think mathematically can catch them at this point, And they're not catching Colorado. So I'm going to take Vegas here. Just again, they they still have something to play for. And quite honestly, they're just a much better team. I'm taking the under because both teams don't let in any goals. Yes. Um I'll take I'll take Minnesota. I know Las Vegas is ultra hot right now, but so is Minnesota. They're eight one and one in their last ten. So a little bit of a coin flip, but I would I would be focusing on the under on this one. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you, Evan. I think Minnesota's fun as hell. Um, I think coming in as no one has ever said that before, by the way, no, no. And I think I spent a good amount of time in the season previews bashing Minnesota, like giving up on trying to, you know, put them up the standings. I'm like, they're going to be in this hell forever. And of course, this is the year that they snap and go off. Kirill the thrill, man. Yeah, I'll go Minnesota, and just to be different than Evan, I'll go for the over. Let's just pretend everything's going to pop off this game. It's it's Mister Dollar Dollar Bill Kirill to you. Oh, but every nickname for Kirill, uh, the thrill is going to be translated or transferred over to Kirill Tutiev when he eventually makes the Red Wings. Yes, Dala Dala Bill Kirill. Uh, one more here quickly. Let's go with um, let's go with Chicago at Carolina. Carolina is a heavy favorite, minus two seventy. Chicago the plus two twenty money. Um, over under set at six set at six and a half with over being the uh, plus money there. That, to me, is the easy go with Carolina. I'm far more confident in their play than Chicago's. Yeah, Chicago's been absolute crap since their hot start. Carolina is is the best team in the NHL right now, at least by points. Um, They are battling for first. Chicago has nothing on the line. And Carolina good, Chicago bad. Let's go with that. Going to take the under here, though, because six and a half, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. Speaking go. of a team that can literally put anyone in net and win, we have the Carolina Hurricanes, who seemingly can't lose with anybody. So, you know, they're the best team in the league, playing a team that's not so good. It's hard to, you know, make any money on this game betting on Carolina, but I can't convince myself to bet on Chicago. Probably a lot of bias, but I, I just can't convince myself. All right, uh, that is the FanDuel Sportsbook uh, betting segment. Uh, be sure to download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. Sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First, on- first online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a game Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred five two two forty seven hundred in Colorado. One eight hundred bets off in Iowa. One eight hundred nine with it in Indiana. One eight hundred gambler in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia. Tennessee red line one eight hundred eight eight nine nine seven eight nine. One eight hundred gambler net in West Virginia, or call one eight hundred two seven zero seven one one seven in Michigan. All right, let's get into some overtime questions. Uh, I know this episode's running a little long, but uh, that is the beauty of having someone uh, as great as Igor Larry Hanoff the second to come in to talk to us. Uh, Andrew Bohan, we're going to start with him. Says, hello, uh, lovely dub dub boys. Phil Blow with the snipe in the shootout. Uh, when did we cross away from Earth Prime into this ultimate alternate dimension? Seeing as we're not on Earth Prime anymore, what other unbelievable thing do you see happening this year? 
Alternate dimension, Red Wings win the draft lottery. That's my answer. I think there's a better chance of the heat death of the universe. Uh, Thomas Grice goes three shutouts in a row and finishes with a record of 1-0-2. Ruthless and Toothless says Ken and Mick uh, were at it again. This time they even had a graphic uh, comparing Mantha and Verana. First world problems. Uh, Brad was particularly on point last episode. I agreed with almost everything he said, especially the Wings potentially being a better team yet falling in the standings, which I would bet is a mathematical certainty. I'm happy with that scenario. I would hope most fi- Wings fans would be. Uh, I was watching uh, Joey Poison, which is Valeno. He reminds me of Fedorov in his low wide skating style. Am I hallucinating or does anyone else see that? Cheers. No, Valeno's always been a really strong skater. That's arguably one of the, if not the biggest strength of his game. So I don't think he's as good of a skater as Fedorov, but in terms of stylistically, I could see it. I think Valeno's a little more upright than Fedorov is, but yeah, close enough. Bad take Brad Bigham says, this is a quote, Riley Shahan is the best kept secret in the NHL. And that's a quote from Ryan from 2015. The next season after I said that, Riley Shahan scored two goals and they were both in game 82. Uh, If we ever get more than 50 listeners in a podcast, I'll have a parade down Kitchener. And that was from Brad. (laughs) Funny takes, guys. Let's go. Maybe not right now. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple you- couple uh, parades going on downtown Kitchener right now, but I don't know. If yeah. A parade we hosted and in our honor will not exceed any public gathering limits, and I'm sure of it. Uh, I want to see Line A traded to the Caps. It would be terrifying. Oh, my God. The firepower. Could you, could uh, you imagine? No. It should be illegal. Ovechkin in his spot, and they just put Line A five feet in front of him. So, you know it's going to one of them, but you don't know which one. Former defenseman Ryan Hanna says, what did the Buffalo say to their son on the first day of school? I've been to Jackson Hole once or twice. Also, Stevie fleeced the caps. That Verona shootout goal was filth. Um, was the first part a joke and was the second part the answer or was that? I don't know. Uh, maybe it's maybe we're supposed to get the joke. Tell us next comment. It's probably a rich person joke. Evan, explain it to us. Evan didn't get it. I only Evan- caught the part about going to Jackson Hole. Yeah, that was the oh, joke. fucking course. That's when you would clue in. Aaron Hudson uh, says, hey, boys, I think it's start. Uh, it's time we start making a list of potential sacrifices to the hockey gods so we can break the curse of Dina's on uh, his overall play is great, but the guy can't buy a goal. Hey, you got one today. Who should the wings be going for in uh, to try to add more offense trades or free agency moves uh, to make things more fun? Uh, unfortunately, this isn't the offseason for that. Um, let's say Joe Valeno. The yeah, the sad answer, which we'll I'll duck after I'm saying is yeah, the Red Wings guys, the Red Wings young players in their system, and more guys like Bobby Ryan and Sam Gagne, because you want to get a high pick next year. Arjun Shanker says, "I hate NBC." Pierre Maguire called Ryan McDonough Mr. Hockey during the first period of today's broadcast. How do we get a formal apology from him? I don't want any formal communications from him. That, that's the whole issue with him is we have too many formal communications from him. C Nods says, uh, "Hey guys, it's been a while, but I've been enjoy- I've been enjoying the no offense uh, version of the Wings as much as one can. Time for some revisionist history. Here's a couple hypotheticals: Go back in time and renegotiate Nielsen and Abdulkader contracts." We can agree each of them got too much even at the time of signing, but I'm curious what you think. Rules, you must sign them. You must uh, put yourself only looking at the time before signing and keep in mind the Red Wings were competitive when signing these contracts back then. Literally, just shorten the term. 
Yeah. Cap average for both of them was high, but reasonably close to what they should have got. The term was the egregious part of those. They should have been two to three years max. And that still would have been too long based on how their performance dropped off, but I we could have stomached it. So yeah, that that's probably the most optimistic I can be about that. Patrick Swayze says, uh, hey, Brad, Ryan, and Rich Guy, I hope all is well. I want to run something past you. Dante Fabro, Robbie Fabry, Robert Bertuzzo, and Tyler Bertuzzi in a last man standing battle royale. Who's walking out with the champion's belt? It's got to be one of the Bertuz, Bertuzzes, right? So who is it? Bertuzzi, Fabro, Fabry, and Bertuzzi, Bertuzzo, Fabro, and Fabry. Portuzo probably he, he's trucked some guys in his day and he he actually yeah. is a former kitchen arranger so we got to watch him truck guys in person he's he's a big dude yeah and uh underdog chance for tyler bertuzzi there he kind of has the crazy guy in a fight vibe to him actually weird coincidence three of those four guys played within 15 minutes of where i live right now yeah i was gonna say they've all played very close yeah. <laughs> uh, first line winger Adam Ernie Stanclub says, without Jack Eichel and Taylor Hall, the Buffalo Sabres have managed to put together a few impressive wins uh, against Boston, Washington, and Pittsburgh. Without Dylan Larkin, the Red Wings have managed to put together a few impressive periods with more than five shots. That's pretty neat. <laughs> I wanted to apologize for saying Jeffrey wasn't the worst coach in the league a few episodes ago. I didn't think he'd take that as a challenge to prove me wrong. <laughs> Uh, I love when I can't like uh, my eyes can't read ahead to kind of like parse out the the sentence and I'm surprised by it as I'm reading it. Matt S says, Brad, I'm ashamed. I forgot the production line in my list of name lines uh, from last episode. I've punished myself accordingly. Echoing a previous comment, I'm so happy NBC is not the national broadcast partner next season. They're so bad. With Doc, they were tolerable, but now it's just piss poor. I'm still hoping we get Gary Thorne back with ESPN to call games. Brings me back to the dominant wings era. Gary Thorne's call of Eisman's double OT clapper versus the Blues still gives me the chills to this day. Also, with the win on Saturday, the Wings made it to their second win uh, when scoring two or few goals this season, two 25 and eight total. Here's to 50 goal scorer Adam uh, Adam Ernie next season. Keep up the good work. I think I saw someone throw out the idea because he he's employed by Turner that someone should teach Kevin Harlan about hockey. And I please God, yes. If we can't get Doc, let's get Kevin Harlan into hockey. Tony X. Like his, his like his whole uh rise to fame within the online hockey community came from the fact that he was just like live tweeting and watching a hockey game for the first time and it was hysterical. I'm not saying that should be the totality of all hockey uh commentary, but yeah, just someone with a fresh perspective, I think that's awesome. Put someone, him on the team who's yeah. Put him on the TNT panel. Like, yeah. he just said, fuck it and left might be the greatest hockey quote of all time. <laughs> uh, Vincent Saladino says, hey, gents, as the season is wrapping, uh, I'm looking forward to a line. I, I'm looking forward to line combos for next year. And looking back to our past, we've had lines like the production line, the grind line, and so on. I think a good idea for the second line would be Bertuzzi, Valeno, and Fabri for no other reason than they're all of Italian descent. Since they're Italian, they can have a pizza or even Little Caesars name. The Little Caesars line, the pizza pizza line. I'm just spitballing here, but it's a fun idea. Do you guys have any good ideas for line combos or fun ones? Uh, keep up the good work and stay fresh. Um, are there any? David Krejci's 
a free agent. So if he wants to center uh, Zadina and Vrana, we have the full checkmates, the full check connection, whatever you want to go with. That would be really fun. Uh, Max Lightman says, have you considered as Mickey Redmond has that objects in the mirror may actually be farther than they appear? That conversation was surreal. Ken and Mick litigating the distance of objects in car mirrors was just, <laughs> that's where we're at this season. Also, Mickey talking about the gluten-free offerings and how happy he is with them at the Bally Sports offices was just like, where are we and why is it so great? <laughs> This is what happens when the Red Wings are three days between goals. The Caminator says Zadina scored. It's a good day. As a brand new dog owner, why no dog merch on the website? Ugh, we've tried. I've tried. I'm still working on it. There's a lot to come. Like, Admittedly, the shop is something that we've not neglected, but something that we're, we still have to update. Things have been a bit busy. Um, we're still working on hats. I know we showed you guys some samples of hats. Working on dog merch. Working on new stuff. It's it's the project over the summer is to update that. Big Smooth says, hey, guys, greetings from enemy territory, Denver, Colorado. Just wanted to say thank you for, for providing such great content each and every week. Feel lucky to have you guys, especially living in a place where they have one of the best teams in the league and fans can't watch on TV. Two-year TV rights dispute. And all sports radio can talk about is why the Broncos didn't draft a QB. Had my first beer league playoff game last night and the opposing team had 48 penalty minutes. What's the chippiest game you've ever played in? First, Big Smooth, thank you for the kind words and the support, and we're glad we can bring Red Wings hockey to you. Uh, chippiest game I've ever played in was not a beer league game. It was an actual, like, Ontario Provincials game. We, It was the game where we lost the finals. Like, it was a best of five series, and it was game four, I believe, where we ended up losing. The second intermission, we had a brawl with the other team's players who were scratched because they were injured and their parents in the stands. And we came back and played a period after. Nice. Um, for all, all the hockey I've played in my life, the, the worst one I was involved in was a beer league game because, of course, um, I'm not a guy who's going to go out there and slash guys, hit guys and all that, but I, I've been known to run my mouth a time or two. And ironically enough, one of the tamest things I've ever said from the bench set this off. We were playing a team in a beer league. I'll, it's a very long story and I'll try and cut it down as much as I can. We are beating the piss out of them. It's like 6-1, 7-1. Buddy takes a cheap shot at me on the power play. I score, wave to him in the box, go to the bench. They're already angry, so I have nothing to risk here. And then I'm as I'm on the bench, the play goes on. Something happens. They start complaining about not getting a penalty. So I say something along the lines of, really? You guys are going to complain about this? And the guy was like two feet in front of me when I said it. He just turned around and swung. And I was on the bench and uh, Crystal, my wife plays on our beer league team and she was right beside me. And anybody who met Crystal knows she doesn't give any fucks. So before my ass had hit the bench, ducking from it, she had cracked this guy in the face. And then as soon as she got involved, everybody in. So it was a brawl from the bench on the ice, everybody involved to this day. It's still the only brawl I've ever been in in beer league. And, it was a shit show. One of their guys took a run at our goalie and our goalie shoved him and buddy dislocated his shoulder. So that there was a whole to do about that. And then, yeah, it was everything I hate about beer league. 
Uh, Sam W is asking about the U18s. Uh, says obviously some of the high profile players stand out, but also guys like Lane Hudson, who looks so technically sound, intelligent uh, out there, and left handed to boot, albeit five seven on skates. Who are you keying in on targets uh, with our picks beyond the first round this this year and in next year's draft? Is that a bigger question for future episodes? Yeah, I've got a few guys that I like in that range, but nobody I'm super keyed in on. I'm I'm starting to grow fond of Olivier Nadeau. He's a third round projection, so I'm sure I'll add 10 names to that list over the next month or two, but we'll go with that for now. Kyle Hashman says, uh, caught pretty much every game uh, except for the Thursday game due to the Lions Super Bowl, which is the draft. Looks like I didn't miss much. Uh, average less than a goal game for the last four with four top players out, and we're not a great team to watch. Wings are getting pushed around too. Give me Smith and McElrath the next couple of games for some entertainment. With playoffs cu- uh, coming up, who are you bandwagoning? Whoever's playing the Capitals. Uh, whoever's Sorry, playing man. the Leafs and Vegas. Moritz Sider or Toby Maguire says, who do you think, uh, what do you think it would take to get Pittsburgh's first round pick in 2022? Oh, I don't think a team with that's about to lose Crosby and Malkin in the coming, I don't know how long is going to give up their. First Pittsburgh round has pick. sold every first round pick they've had for the last decade. It seems. Yeah. Rutherford's gone though. They, they can't that's do it fair. again. That's a good point. Third man in says, take Ronick off the point on the power play. That is all. RC Tendy says the Red Wings offensive strategy of ringing the puck around the boards until they lose it makes me want to blow my head off. Bring in Larry on off as coach. Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says after two awesome and entertaining games versus Lightning, the following things are true. I have no idea uh, what the Red Wings really want to do on the power play, and neither do the players. Also, if Blashill gets a new contract, we will see this entire staff for at least two more seasons. I don't know this for a fact. I just know it's true that despite being a Gemini, Evan has a tribal Zodiac sign for cancer on his lower back because it's nice. Who told you? Did Evan show you? He's refused to ever show us, but we know that tattoo does indeed exist. That is my ultimate secret. <laughs> well, now Evan's going to dissolve away. He's not going to appear again for another hundred years. Vaxed, waxed, and ready to eat carpet says, hey there, fellas. Got my second vaccine what shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Joseph. <laughs> And I'm ready to roll these streets. 69 may have been the summer of love, but 21 will be the summer of awkward social faux pas and arriving too early. Speaking on today's theme of arriving too early, is it possible that the Red Wings rebuild may do that? Considering the power plays 0 for infinity and one goal losses, the lineup juggling, and the man games lost to injury, can Stevie build a contender with a model of surrounding Larkin, Valeno, Rass with elite wingers, stacking the defensive corps and reloading depth every three to four years like Chicago does? Or is an active tank required until an elite first line center is gifted? Adios, NBC. I'd punch me or Pierre Maguire in a stupid gnome face for free. Given how fun and loose the TNT NBA studio is, who would you like to see in that studio? Darren McCarty should be a given. Aussie for Hall of Fame. Stay fresh. Cheese bags. So I think they can become contenders with Larkin, Valeno, and Rass as a center. But so many things have to happen for that to go right. First of all, Valeno would have to play above league average second line C and Rass would have to play above average third line C, both of which I don't think are likely. Um, and then Raymond Zadina and whoever they pick in the top 10 this year will have to hit and hit bigger than we expected. And then obviously they'd have to get, ah, they're getting the goaltending. So that would have to continue. Yeah. I mean, this year is, if anything is a, 
it's a sign that the goaltending can probably be the last focus. But we'll get to that when we get to Jesper Wallstedt. Stevie Langerman says, uh, hey, gents, last episode, I said, how cool it'd be to have Verona, Zadina, Valeno on the same line. And then it happened. So that only, that only means all comments I make will come true. So how cool would it be if Cider wins the Calder and we win the draft lottery and get Shane Wright? Stevie replaces Blatch with Gallant. You guys go full time with the pod. Mika grows up to be captain of Team Canada. And I finally break 85 in my next round of golf. Let's go Red Wings and you're welcome. I think everything was fully accurate and likely up until your round of golf there, man. Sorry. <laughs> what are you antagonizing <laughs> the guy for? He very clearly has control over our future. Yeah, this is uh, true. This is true. Because he aim. Okay, so I'll twist it. He's aiming. He's aiming too low. I think I think you can break even. You can get par, buddy. <laughs> Dream big. Just honestly, all, right, all I expect of you is to be better at golf than Evan, because that would be satisfying. This episode uh, has been chock full of good stuff, but it has run long, so we're going to wrap this up. Uh, apologies for Twitter and Reddit. I promise you we'll look back at these, but don't be afraid to repost them for next episode. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's interview. Lots of content coming up soon. Uh, next episode is on Wednesday night. Uh, until then, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, our uh, sponsors for this show, the FanDuel Sportsbook, our name-level sponsors on Patreon, the true heart and soul of the show, Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartel on behalf of the Sierra Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry Traver, driver of Evans Furkwagen, Taylor Tagel, Arjun Shanker, again, I read his name twice, Bad Take Brad Bigums. Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Alkasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Kalen Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Luke Johnson, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Connor Layton, and Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, as good as it gets, Shitbucket Surprise, Stan Olson, Trevor Pevavar, Vaxed Wax, and Ready to Eat Carpet. See you Wednesday, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.